0: Welcome to the Highly Sensitive Parenthood podcast. I'm Amy Laginus, your podcast host and guide to not only surviving, but thriving as a highly sensitive parent. Together, we'll dive into common challenges of highly sensitive parents, hear from other HSPs and empaths about their experiences in parenthood, and learn to honor and celebrate our sensitivity, not only as parents, but as humans. Welcome. Three ways to cope as an anxious, highly sensitive parent. Hi, I'm Amy Laginus, the founder and creator of HighlySensitiveParenthood.com, an online resource center for highly sensitive and empath parents. Last week, I shared a little bit about how anxiety and being an HSP interact with one another, and today, I will be sharing on the topic of three ways to cope as an anxious, highly sensitive parent. So I'm just going to get straight to the chase here. The three top ways to cope with anxiety as a highly sensitive parent are number one, learn and practice some relaxation and mindfulness skills. Number two, reduce exposure to situations and environments that lead to overstimulation. And number three, challenge negative or unrealistic ways of thinking. So full disclosure, in the state of California, I am licensed as a psychotherapist. And while I have professional experience working with HSPs and anxiety in that capacity, and for the purposes of this video, I'm simply offering um, some ideas for you. This is not mental health um, treatment, and it is not a replacement for therapy. Um, and if you do find yourself in need of a therapist, needing more support, please reach out to one. Um, there's a list of HSP knowledgeable therapists on hsperson.com, or if you are in the state of California, do feel free to reach out to me. Um, my therapy business here is inner nature therapy. So going back to the three top ways to cope. Uh, as an anxious HSP, the first is just to simply learn some relaxation and mindfulness skills. I know it sounds really simple and a bit reductionistic, but learning ways to calm your body and to be mindful is a really powerful tool against anxiety. In fact, there is a 2015 study by two researchers uh, named Pluis and Bonoel that found that being an HSP only related to anxiety when mindfulness and acceptance were low, but that relationship was not significant when mindfulness and acceptance were high. So essentially being an HSP really only makes anxiety more intense if we don't have mindfulness and and acceptance skills. So what does that mean on a practical level? Um, Mindfulness skills can include uh, deep breathing, um, one of my favorites is just a simple box breath, which is inhaling for four, holding for four, exhaling for four, and then holding the exhale for four. But there are many other um, types of mindful breathing out there, including just a simple inhale and exhale that's that's consciously done. Um, meditation. And this can look like, you know, the traditional kind of sitting quietly in a, in a quiet and peaceful place. Um, For me, I I like that sometimes, but I also really enjoy a mindful walk. Um, So, you know, no earbuds, uh, no chatting with someone else, but just simply opening up your five senses and noticing what's around you. Um, Some other practical mindfulness skills include gaining awareness of your physical body and noticing those warning signs of overstimulation. So noticing like what comes up right before I feel like I'm about to lose it or right before I feel panicky. How does my body feel? Um, And that's one thing that I will say in my work as a therapist, a lot of people do need help with. Um, We're not often taught, at least where I live in the United States, to really tune into what our body is telling us. And so if you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, what do you mean tune into my body? Um, see if you can find a therapist to help you with that. Um, learning specific ways to calm your body. So this one's a little easier. That's often things like yoga, um, going outside. Many of the HSPs that I've worked with um, find that like taking a shower or a bath can be helpful. That actually does calm the nervous system. And intentional, emotional, and physical boundary setting. So for parents, this can take, um, take the form of having some time alone when you're feeling overtouched, asking to be touched in a less intense way, um, or just noticing, okay, I'm feeling overtouched, I'm going to, you know, retreat a little bit or I'm going to take some time. The second way to cope that I'll share today is to reduce exposure to situations and environments that lead to overstimulation. So you probably already know that certain environments create greater stress for you. Um, for many HSP parents, this is things like children's birthday parties, um, especially at places like Chuck E. Cheese. I think I have had a blog post about that at some point. Um, just like it feels horrendous for me to be at a place like Dave Investor's or Chuck E. Cheese. It's just so overstimulating. Um It's, yeah, it's like HSP hell. So if that's you, I I encourage you to, you know, find ways to opt out of that, um, environment or really limit it if you can, um, amusement parks or zoos can be like this, um, rooms that are cluttered with toys or kids, kids gear, kid detritus, as I call it, um, and lastly, multitasking. So this isn't an environment, but it's a situation that many of us parents find ourselves in where we are like cooking dinner and the TV is on or some music is on and our kids talking to us. And then we're remembering we're hearing like the laundry going. We're remembering we have to call this person. And there's like five different things going on in our head that's really overstimulating. Um, the brain gets very taxed for, for anybody, not just HSPs. It gets very taxed trying to kind of weed out like, is this important information? Do I need to deal with this right now? Or is this something that can wait? Um, we're basically triaging all of that those stimuli. Um, but for HSPs, um, our brains are just a little more sensitive and easily taxed by working with competing demands. And so if you can find ways to, for example, um, in that situation, maybe turn the TV off, or um, if you can't provide a a different activity for your child so they're they're not talking to you while you're doing some more like intensive parts of prepping a meal, um, or perhaps visiting the zoo early in the morning instead of um, during like a Saturday afternoon that can help reduce overstimulation. Um, thirdly, challenging negative or unrealistic ways of thinking. So this is something, again, that, in my opinion, is best done with a trained therapist. Um, but the, the bread and butter of therapy for anxiety, there's lots of different ways to do it. But one of the most um, commonly used uh, types of therapy is called cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. And basically what CBT does is it helps people understand the relationships between their thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Um, So an example, a very basic example is um, if you're walking down the street and someone is making kind of a grumpy face and they make eye contact with you, you might think, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. They hate me. I don't know why, but they hate me. I need to like never go on a walk in this area again or like it just throws off your whole day and you're grumpy at your kids later on. Um now if you kind of use CBT techniques, you might say, "Okay, well is it true that they hate me or that there's something wrong with me and that's why they're making that grumpy face or maybe they're coming from like a tough meeting at work or they just got off the phone with someone and had to have a hard conversation." And then, you know, you might, you might feel empathy for them and say, oh gosh, I hope they have a better day, but you're not taking it on yourself. It doesn't change your behavior for the rest of the day. That's it. So that's a very simple example of kind of how CBT works. Um, but for for parents of children, anxiety comes in all forms. And sometimes our anxiety is like somewhat well-founded, which is why I'm saying it's really helpful to have a therapist to help you with this because um, sometimes there are things that we worry about that, you know, it's good to have, be be thoughtful about, but where do we draw the line without taking over our thoughts and our feelings and just our entire lives with, you know, with anxiety and and stress? Um, so an example for, for, um, for a child or for a parent of a child, um, you might be nervous about starting your child at a new school. Um, I hear this a lot, actually, uh, parents being really worried. What if they don't make any friends? What if they cry all the, you know, the whole day? What if I hate it? Um, what if I don't like their teachers? And so these are, these feelings are very real and they're coming from a place of love and concern for your kid. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing to love and care for your kid. That's in fact, never in question. Um, but if you look at it logically, it's many of them are not realistic, right? So the fact that you would drop your child off and they would cry literally for, you know, nine hours straight at school is not going to happen. Um, I would imagine for most for most parents. Um, and if you do, i I hear you, and that's really hard., um, and I hope it goes away soon. But realistically, it's it's very unlikely that your child will drop off you'll be dropped off at the new school and not make any friends or be distraught the entire day, right? And so you can reframe that thought by saying, "Well, they might cry for a while after I drop them off, and that is upsetting to me. I don't want my child to be upset or sad. But I can also recognize that they'll probably have a good time during other parts of the day. They're going to do some fun activities. They're going to connect with other kids. And ultimately, they're going to be happy to see me at the end of the day. Now, that feels way better for many people than, oh my gosh, I'm going to drop them off and they're going to cry all day and be miserable. So um, again, these are just three uh, of the tips that I have for you. Uh, kind of scratching the surface, um, three ways to cope as an anxious, highly sensitive parent learning some relaxation and mindfulness skills. Number two, reducing exposure to situations and environments that lead to overstimulation. And number three is to challenge negative or unrealistic ways of thinking. And if you find that you are experiencing anxiety that's impacting your day-to-day life or functioning, again, please do reach out to a list or to a therapist. The list um, of a highly sensitive person, knowledgeable therapist is at hsperson.com. You can also simply just Google HSP therapist in your state, province, or country um, for anxiety. And um, almost certainly there will be some people that pop up. Um, So I hope this has been helpful for you. If you um, are in need of additional support, um, maybe you're already seeing a therapist but are looking for some more ideas about how anxiety um, or other aspects of your experience as a parent um, intersect intersect with your sensitivity, please do check out my website, highlysensitiveparenthood.com. Um, There you can sign up for a weekly newsletter to receive updates and um, helpful tips about how to manage and celebrate your sensitivity as a parent. And you will also find resources, which include um, one-on-one coaching with me um, online, uh, a toolkit for highly sensitive parents, low cost, um, just sort of really nice introduction um, to being an HSP parent. And also our comprehensive Highly Sensitive Parenthood course, um, which is goes into way more detail on all these topics than I could possibly do in our weekly blogs. So again, check out um, HighlySensitiveParenthood.com or you can follow us on Instagram at Highly Parenthood. All right. Be well. Thanks for joining us on the Highly Sensitive Parenthood podcast. For more resources, including our blog, toolkit, and online course for highly sensitive parents, visit HighlySensitiveParenthood.com.